It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we are back. It's been a few weeks since I put one of these out. I was in between jobs, but finally settled in at the new gig. So uh, reached out to my good friend Darby Robinson to hop on this week's episode. Darby, how's it going? Going well. Good to be back on, Brett. We've got a lot of good stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff to cover. What I wanted to start the show off with, though, was... Shane Boz, who made his fourth rehab appearance uh, tonight uh, in Durham for the Bulls and went four and a third through 79 pitches, struck out 10 batters because that's what Shane Boz does. It looks like he is ready to go, ready to join the active roster, and it could be as early as his next scheduled start date, right, Darby? Yeah, so the 60-day time, he is eligible to come off basically tomorrow, but obviously since he started today, it puts him some time into this week. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been sharp down in Durham. Like, the everything looks pretty good today, 10Ks uh, against Nashville. Um, just, you know, the, he doesn't really have any more to prove in, in Durham, I don't think. Uh, he kind of proved in the majors last year that, that the stuff plays, the command plays, everything about his makeup is potentially ace level stuff and you know we know it takes time to get there and obviously the injury was an unfortunate setback to start the year but there is some bright side to that you know the rays are are above five well above 500 they're well into one of the wild card spots at this point and now they've saved two months of innings on Shane Boz and you want those two months of innings in September and October rather than at the start of the season, if you can afford it. So overall, if he can come back and pitch like he did tonight and perform, then then actually saving some of those innings will be probably a benefit of the back end of the season, at least. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited. We knew they were going to control his innings anyways. So, like, it wouldn't shock me even once he's in the big leagues. It's not going to be like the training wheels are off. Go give us seven innings. Um, I would expect him for at least his first three, four starts to go, you know, some days he'll go into the fifth. He might complete five, maybe depending on game flow and pitch count and a bunch of other factors, maybe let him go into the sixth. Uh, But it's definitely going to be a work in progress once he comes in, which is also why I think it's important because I was kind of starting to think, and, and I'm still, this still could happen technically that you get 30 days of rehab time once you go into once you're coming off the IL and I believe he made his first start on the 19th of May it's now June 6th on the day of recording it wouldn't shock me to leave him in there for maybe even one more start because I think the original plan to start the season um, before some of the other injuries to guys like Yarbrough and Patino happened was to have Shane Boz start the year in AAA 
obviously he was hurt himself, so we will never know what their intention was and the injuries that the other injuries on the roster probably would have forced him to the big leagues. Uh, But it wouldn't shock me to see them give him just some more time in AAA. As much as the Rays are going through a, I won't even like, they're not slumping. They're just a little bit of a rough patch where they're not firing on all cylinders like we've been used to seeing the last two years. It would be great to have Shane Boz on on the rotation right now, but this is, I mean, now that, you know, you wander Franco's not a prospect anymore. He is signed long-term. Shane Boz is your most prized possession in the entire organization. And I, and I just want to make sure that they are, they play this very, very carefully because we're not only thinking about later in this season, but we're also thinking about the next four or five years with Shane Boz. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the Rays have never shied away from that. I mean, I think this series that they just ended with the White Sox, you saw Drew Rasmussen go through seven innings, which he, he doesn't usually often get to through seven. And they've been really careful with his innings per start, which makes a lot of sense. He's converted from from relief and he's still relatively new to the starting gig in the major leagues. So they're still been careful with that, but they're not going to push it. Right. You know, Yes, a loss counts just as much in May and early June as it does in September, but you still are going to try to steal an inning here and steal a few pitches here and there because those all add up, right? If you can, if you can, if you can save five, 10 pitches a start, suddenly that's, you know, another full start later on the season. And long-term health has always been kind of the biggest thing to how the Rays go. And rather than necessarily maximizing uh, each individual regular season win, it's definitely trying to make sure that these arms stay healthy for the long run and stay effective for the long run as well. I mean, I think that just, again, another testament to the, like there are teams that don't have the depth to be able to leave Shane Boz on the shelf for as long as they can. Right. Uh, But the Rays are able to run out guys like a, a reliever turned starter or two of two of them, actually Drew Rasmussen and, Jeffrey Springs and even Ryan Yarbrough, who again, I think is a league average pitcher. There are some days where that's hard to believe, but he's a valuable piece and he still gets those innings sometimes, not today. Uh, With that being said, though, when Boz is ready to join the rotation, whether it be this week or next, what do the Rays do with their big league starting rotation? I think looking at this and, and it's kind of been coming down the pipe with, you know, once, once Boz, Boz started rehabbing and Durham and sort of being like, okay, he's just needs to build up the arm strength at this point. Uh, I think it's a kind of a, it's a very good luxury problem to have for the Rays is you have too many starters uh, for the rotation, but also, you know, we've been talking like easing Boz back into the rotation you're trying to also potentially steal some innings from Shane McClanahan, who's got a potential Cy Young season developing, but he also has not pitched as many innings as he's slated to pitch this year. So you're going to try to make sure that you can take an inning here and there and really help him stay healthy throughout the whole year because he is absolute ace level pitching. I think what you could see is a potential six man rotation or maybe even a quasi six man rotation with the off days you bring up Boz potentially for his next start or next um, time in, in the rotation, his, his five days of rest. And then you give him, you know, potentially a hard pitch count or kind of give him a, a set number of ups and downs. And then you could even piggyback that with a Yarbrough, or you could just have a bullpen day depending upon the game situation and then kind of go from there and give, that means you kind of can take like one start each, each week 
away from one of those guys, extend it out and kind of get you a little bit deeper into the season without having to rely quite as heavily on some of the top of the rotation people. That's that's important for young guys like Shane McClanahan and Drew Rasmussen, but it's also important for uh, the veterans like Corey Kluber. I mean, he's another guy that came off of some big injuries last year and a couple of injuries the last few years. So you want him to stay healthy as well for the long stretch. So I could see with the uh, emergence of Jeffrey Springs and like really rock solid emergence. I mean, his last two starts, uh, one loss, one no decision. The only thing he gave up were just two solo shots in each one, just pretty much flawless couple of pitches that just slightly missed the location or in some of those cases just were beaten by good hitting, but he's been, he's been really reliable, really strong quality starts each time out. You're not going to really have to move him out of the rotation. Yarbrough again, you know, he's, he's, he kind of gets pushed down quite a bit. He's not the most fun pitcher to watch pitch, especially when you have like, Guys like Shane McClanahan could pump 100 and make amazing movement. It's hard to get super excited for mid-80s soft tossing and lots of contact and slow uh, nibbling. But he's still a really solid major league pitcher. A lot of teams are pitching a lot worse than Ryan Yarbrough. So there's nobody in this rotation that you you say, like, you got to get rid of. But that's a good thing. You can slot Boz in. It's only a problem once... Luis Patino comes back. So that's, that's a problem for a, like, you know, a couple of weeks from now. That, that was my next question. If there comes a point where you've got to make a move and I hate to say this, but usually there, there's another injury that kind of makes this all work out on its own. Um, that's just kind of how these, these things go. Uh, but let's say Boz comes back. He's fully healthy in the rotation. Luis Patino does the same. Cause it sounds like he's going to be starting his rehab assignment as early as this coming week. I'm kind of replacing Boz in Durham. Is Yarbrough the the first on the chopping block? Would he be the one where you maybe even need to, I, I don't know if he's got options left, but maybe even a DFA could be upcoming for a guy like him? I, I think actually Yarbrough does have options. I'll have to check that to be sure. But uh, I think Yarbrough and Springs are obviously the bottom men in the in the order. And I, I think Springs right now does kind of have that, edge above him uh they both could go into the bullpen and i think with the way the rays use pitchers you could see both of them shift into a multi-inning three-inning four-inning role on their start days anyway so i think you could definitely do something a little different but yarbrough's got the most experience uh in the bullpen with the rays and he has been the guy that has been the most utility you know he's the the joey wendell of the the pitching rotation in a lot of ways so i would probably move yarbrough to, to more of a long relief, you know, bridge inning, always an, in, he's going to be a different look than any pitcher that the Rays have uh, in terms of velocity and arm slot. So you could absolutely piggyback him off of any of the starters and get something of a new look potentially to extend if somebody doesn't go as deep as you're hoping, but he would be my choice. If Patino's back to kind of move him uh, kind of into a more relief role and you hope that there's no space. Like that's the idea is everybody yeah. stays healthy and, and you have to make a choice. Yeah. And Yarbrough has two options left. I um, mean, he's in his second year of arbitration. So, um, but still has those options. Um, you think about the long men that are running right now out of the bullpen guys like uh, Ralph Garza Jr. And Sean Armstrong who are interesting in their own right. We say that about any pitcher that the Rays pick up. Um, but 
you know, you might go with a Ryan Yarbrough for a guy if you need three innings rather than an Armstrong or a Garz Jr. or a Dustin Knight or a, I almost said Sean Poppin. I think it's been a while since we've had him, but he's still in the big leagues. Pretty sure he's in Arizona now. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is correct. Um, get him back. Get him back. Just bring him back here for, for an inning. So I could see, you know, you finally get rid of a Garza Jr. and you've got Yarbrough in that mop-up slot. Um, I, I hate saying that about the guy because he's been really solid with the Rays, but again, a testament to the staff that the Rays have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think what happens is when you get Patino and Boz back, you just help the depth. Everything, everybody slot, you know, they slot in, everybody slots down. And suddenly, if you are kind of pushed out back to Durham, then that just gives you better depth. And and, and that's and that's a good thing. So I think the raised depth has been tested uh, in the month of May, second half of May and into June right now. And we're, we're definitely in this stretch where it is pushing the limits of that, of that, uh, that depth, especially, you know, in the bullpen uh, in a lot of ways, because you have, you have, you know, Andrew Kittredge just came back today, but he was injured. Uh, JP Fireisen, who's had a, just a sensational season is now onto the IL. Uh, JT Chargois had the setback. So he's going to be potentially gone for a while still. So the bullpen has definitely had some ups and downs. And so if you can push somebody into that bullpen and maybe push one of the guys that's not as performing as well, kind of down to Durham, that just lengthens the options that you can have out of the pen. Let's talk about bullpen usage. Cause I think it has been interesting. Uh, you go back to Saturday's game, you see Brooks Rayleigh brought in out of the bullpen. He gets into some trouble, but it's all weak contact. Um, the one double pr- could have been caught on another day, either by Bruhan or a Rosarena. Uh, and then he ends up getting credited with two earned runs because Beeks comes in and gives up the, the two run Homer on the first run scored on the, the single that he gave up. But I, I've been a little, I'll, I'll, I mean, I've, I've been confused. This is a guy they signed to a two year, $10 million contract. What we've seen, I think is good, not great. I mean, he hasn't been stellar, which is fine. He's been good. Um, but I was expecting him alongside a Kittredge and alongside a, a Pete Fairbanks, if he were healthy, to really be the Rays a bullpen. And there have been times where they use him in that situ- in those situations, but there's other times where they bring him in, and I'm like, I don't think this is probably the situation he's best suited for. I don't know. What have, what have your thoughts been on his, his usage thus far? I think with the Rays, it's an interesting bar, right? His, his season line is excellent. It's been really good. Uh, it's, it's about as good as he's kind of ever been in his career. ERA 377, FIP only 2.10. Um, so that's all great. You know, he's, he's not giving up home runs, which has always been his big issue. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, I think in terms of the way the Rays have used him and the way the Rays view him, I think has been a bit baffling to me. I, I think when, so you had earlier in May, actually the first week of May, uh, Kittredge was used, ended up being used three days in a row uh, in Oakland. Uh, one one day, because he hadn't been used in a while, then the next two ended up being close enough that they needed a save and Kittredge knocked it out three days in a row. So he's going to be out for, you know, like several days after that with rest. Then the next uh, series against Seattle, 
Brooks Raley gets called upon and he pitches three days in a row as well and, and pitches pretty well and, and it absolutely shuts the door each time there. And so that made sense. You're, you're, you're basically, he's the guy that you spent a lot of money on. Kittredge was your all-star last year. You're seeing like, okay, if I can't use Kittredge, let me go to Rayleigh. Obviously different types of pitchers, different arsenals, but similar high leverage guys. The Rays have used Rayleigh in fairly high leverage, but they have not used him in quite the same ways that I think a lot of us were expecting coming into the season as that kind of stopper, as that fireman, as that uh, kind of put out the rally type of situation. Saturday is a really good example of that. He comes in, it's a two run game. Uh, Drew Rasmussen just left eighth inning. That's a perfect Brooks Raley role. Got it. I, I totally see why they're using him in there. It's kind of the bottom of the order, which is a little odd to use Brooks Raley, but the top of the order for the White Sox is all right-handers. Um, basically every good player on the, the White Sox are right-handed except for Yasmani Grandal, who can, who can bat switch. Pretty much everybody else that's like their most dangerous guys, Abreu, uh, Robert, um, uh, even Pollock in some ways, but, but uh, Vaughn, they're all, they're all going to be up there. And yeah, and Aloy, when he's healthy, he's righty. So they're all righty. So you're, you're going to try to use your lefties, you know, judiciously in this series. So, okay, I'm fine with that. You're, he's still your best reliever with Fire Eisen down and Kittredge not back. You're using him against the bottom of the order, but okay, fine. Outs are outs. You're collecting outs. And you if you get to the top of the inning, uh, you have Jason Adam, who's now your best right-handed reliever to go against that. I get that. He gives up two bloops. And then it gets to the very uh, kind of bottom of the order where a lefty up, Reese McGuire and you're gonna they're gonna probably pinch hit they then cash then goes to Jalen Beeks in that situation and that to me is very very odd I like Beeks he's been a very good reliever he's also had some very odd usage but this still seemed like a situation where Rayleigh his pitch count wasn't elevated he hadn't been necessarily used a ton previously so that they only wanted him for a couple of guys it's still high leverage because you know there's now one run in and one runner on and he hadn't been hit hard at all the only two bits of contact that landed in the field of play were both really poorly hit and they just happened to be between the infielder and the outfielder but they weren't he wasn't tagged so it's not like he's he was fooling any it wasn't like people were were on him that's not the situation where I would expect Cash to pull an Andrew Kittredge or a JP Fireisen or uh, any of the kind of elite level relievers that the Rays have had. And so if they don't see Brooks Raley as that kind of guy, that's a little confusing. I thought it's not concerning. It's confusing. And it's something that I'm kind of looking at. I don't, I, I don't, I don't really get it. I looked at like just Raley's straight up lefty righty splits. And if you, if you were assuming that they were going to bring in burger, I'm, he, I'm guessing he was probably already in the on deck circle, even with Rayleigh still on the mound, Rayleigh's numbers against righties really take a nose. Like he is elite, elite against left-handed hitters. Like they cannot get anything going against him against righties. He struggles a bit, but at the same time, 
you know they're going to go to Burger or they're going to keep Burger out there if you leave Beaks in or if you go to Beaks. And Beaks isn't really good. Ag- I mean, he's fine, um, but he's not a Brooks Raley against lefties or righties. Um, so to give them that lefty righty matchup with Burger, I don't know. That was, I mean, that's just like one decision and it just happened to be a two run home run and the race lose three to two, but it was curious. And it's something that, yeah, I've definitely noticed that I, I maybe haven't done the research to like back this up, but it feels like Brooks Raley hasn't been used in a way. It's like, we weren't expecting the race to sign any reliever to a multi-year multi-million dollar deal, but the fact that they did, you'd expect that. He was going to be one of their one of their guys, and I'm not saying that he isn't. And maybe they're just experience, experimenting with different usage this point of the season. Um, but yeah, I think it's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, one more guy at AAA that I want to talk about, and I think it kind of coincides with the Rays' offensive struggles because they've they've definitely struggled offensively. Uh, Jonathan Aranda, uh, left-handed hitting infielder, uh, killing it in AAA once again. You've got the three middle infielders right now um, that are mainstays right now because of the injuries to Lau and Franco, Taylor Walls, Vidal Brujan, and Isak Paredes. At what point do one of those guys, are they that far ahead of Aranda in the pecking order to where they're going to stay up? Or is is there some point where Aranda is going to force the Rays' hand in in giving him his, his shot? I think it's, it's a good question because I think a lot of Rays fans are asking that. I mean, over the last 30 days, the Rays have a bottom five offense. Uh, Rocks all bottom five. They're actually the fourth worst offense in baseball. Um, that's by WRC plus on base percentage and runs scored. The only offense is worse than them uh, by uh, kind of most of these metrics uh, are the Padres, the Rockies, the A's, and Detroit is like running away with the worst. They, that that is they're an absolute absolute dumpster fire right now. They're having a terrible terrible month of baseball. Um, uh, but yeah, so the Rays have been bad on offense uh, for the most the majority of those thirty days. Though they've been without their best hitter, which is Brandon Lau, and then their second best hitter, which is Wander Franco. So take the two best position players off of any team in baseball, you have a much worse team. It's, it's actually very simple. It's a very simple. Uh, Imagine scenario. what the angels would be. <laughs> oh yeah. They 10 game losing streak with two generational talents. 11. Imagine. They've lost 11. They lost on a walk-off today. Oh, they did. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. T- take Otani and trout out of that, including that's multiple Otani starts in there. And uh, yeah, probably looks a little worse. So yeah, that part, you know, the offense is going to struggle. Bottom five is probably not true talent level where they should be even, even with those struggles. They're still like, you who can do a lot better than it's also been like kind of scuffling here. And it's a little tough because you do want to spark on offense. And unfortunately, all of the, the rookies, all of the kind of the prospects have, have really struggled to start the year. Um, Josh Lowe started the year and he was, he, he, he really struggled to, to, to get started. Um, Walls has been by every offensive metric, the worst uh, position player in all of baseball. It's like by a fairly large margin. He's at a negative five WRC plus since the month of May on Um, just 
you know, his April wasn't terrible, but like his May on has been just abysmal. He had eight hits in in the last uh, 30 plus days. Uh, that's really bad. And they're running sub 200 Babips too, both Walls and Bruhan, which might just say that maybe like, I know Babip is obviously, <laughs> it's going to say that, but also I'm also like curious and we can look at like exit ELO numbers. Maybe they're not putting balls in play that are worthy of, of becoming hits. It's a, it's a bit of both. Yeah. They, both their exit ELOs are pretty bad. Um, Bruhan is a little bit more, it seemingly has, has a little bit better control of where, like what the zone is right now. And he's at least swinging at pitches that he should swing at. He's making more contact, but again, it's pretty weak. Um, last few, last week or so, I, I actually have been pretty impressed with Bruhan. But getting back to Aranda and, and kind of like, where does he fit in? The biggest issue is with Paredes, uh, Bruhan, and Walls right now is Bruhan and Walls can play shortstop. Aranda can't. In fact, Aranda barely can play anything in the field. He's not a very good defensive player. Uh, and it, compared to those three in particular, and so the Rays already have some, has have had some struggles on defense this year, mostly because of the high standards that I think Rays fans put on them. I think they're expected to be a top five defense. They haven't been that. And they've had some, some kind of some really uncharacteristically rough errors, but that's going to happen. You, you're not a team that necessarily can fix that with just bad defense. Talk to Joe Girardi. Uh, he's available to talk to you right now because when you build a team with only bad defenders, it goes bad. So Aranda is more of the guy that you probably don't want to have at second base all the time. Maybe he's more of a first baseman. Maybe he's more of a DH. The bat looks great. Like the bat legitimately at a certain point, you kind of have to see what you got from him. But at this point, Bruhan has nothing left to prove necessarily in AAA. This is an opportunity to see what he can do. Paredes, I think, does not go down for him because he's looked actually very good at the plate. I think he looked comfortably, had a home run today. He's got a really good approach at the plate. The numbers are actually, he's doing much better than the other, those other two by a large margin. He's, he's, he looks fine. I think Paredes, I am totally comfortable with. He's actually looked pretty solid in the field as well. So plate, field, Paredes is fine. Walls and Bruhan, I just still think you have to put them ahead of Aranda at this point, just because a little bit more versatile. And this is an opportunity to see what you can get. It's hard to expect a guy like Aranda to come in and be an instant spark plug to the offense, but you have to at least sort of see like maybe if Bruhan can get something going, because we know he can do, do it in AAA. That's not a question anymore. This is an opportunity to give him consistent playing time and, if he can start figuring out, get that confidence, that's going to be much more valuable. So I, I can't really see, I, I don't see a spot right now that I say you absolutely have to call him up. I want to see him though. I do want to see Aranda. He had a home run again today with Durham. Uh, his bat's on fire. At a certain point, you kind of have to see what he's got, but I just, I don't think it's as clean as a lot of the race fans are thinking right now to just slot him right in. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I really, I have liked Esau Paredes. And he's got, he's the only one out of that that group that I mentioned that are rocking a, a, a WRC plus, one that is above 100, above average. Um, and he looks comfortable at the plate. Bruhan, uh, I think has like, y- you start to see regret, like he's very much due for some regression. 
Uh, but I also just don't know if that's because like he's more likable than Taylor Walls. I don't know. We don't have to get into the weeds about that. I just think everybody's like rooting for Bruhan maybe more so than they are for Walls. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. You just look at the the bottom five offense, and I'm thinking to myself: if you throw Aranda at second base, how bad can his defense be? At the same time, uh, the Rays. I've always said the last two seasons, what made what what made them separated them from the Yankees and the Blue Jays in this division has been the defense. And um, I think that's still important to to prioritize. Uh, let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we'll kind of take a look around the division and talk about what the Rays' chances are to three-peat as AL East champs. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back on Raise Your Voice here with Darby Robinson. Darby, we talked about the the rough stretch that the Rays offense has been on, really one of the worst in all of baseball over the last month or so. That has caused or helped, I guess, the Yankees pull away in the division. The Rays are now sitting third place with a 31-23 and record, eight games behind the Yankees. They are a half game back in the loss column uh, uh, with Toronto, who's seven and a half back from New York. And the Rays being the two-time defending American League East champions in search of a three-peat, it's going to be an uphill battle if they want a chance to to retake that division crown. Eight games back, it's June 6th. The Yankees, I've been saying it all offseason, this is a team that can still, that is still very much capable of winning the division. What are the Rays' chances of of, of overtaking them at some point this year? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> at this point not great not it's not over uh i mean here the thing is the the yankees uh have had pretty good injury luck besides uh stanton um but they are a team that could you know face some injuries everybody does and that could change things up and eight games is not that much when you consider that the rays and the yankees have played just four times already so there's a lot of time where the the schedule has been very weirdly unbalanced in the sense that there's a lot of teams that still haven't played each other and the Rays and the Yankees have only had one series together. So this next month in June, they have two more, I think actually maybe even three series together. Uh, so they're going to have some more time. Yeah. Two, two more. So six games, six games, you know, the team that wins two out of three twice, that really brings the gap a little bit closer. Uh, it's not out of question, but the Yankees are playing amazing baseball right now. I mean, like they, if they keep playing like this, they will win well over a hundred games. They're on a huge <laughs> pace and they'll keep winning, but that, you know, they, the start of the season, they weren't and Yankees fans were ready to, to jettison everybody. And so it, it's, it's one of those things where it's always hard to imagine when good times are going that they'll ever end and hard to imagine that you'll ever see good times again when bad things are happening. That's just how baseball works, but it's also a six month season. And so who the hell knows what's going to happen in the next month. 
And so I, I would say not great, but eh, you never know. It's a long season. I mean, and are you saying still, that Jose Trevino, early. Jose Trevino's 139 WRC plus isn't sustainable? Is that what you're saying? It might fall down to like 120. <laughs> it might it might settle into uh top 30. Yeah, I, everything's clicking for the Yankees right now. I mean, like it, a lot of it's earned and justified. The starting rotation has been amazing, but also like the last two weeks, the starting rotation has all gone basically seven, eight innings of like shutout or one run ball. I mean, there, there's some really good pitchers there. Garrett Cole's great, but like they're if they can continue to do that, it'll be the greatest starting rotation in the history of the game. And, you know, 30 starts is a long time to do that. Like is Nestor Cortez going to be basically the second best starting pitcher in all of baseball for 30 games? I don't know, but yeah, they're a really good team. Like, I, I don't think, I, I don't think there's, it's all that shocking. I mean, like they've been to the postseason last year. They, they were a good team last year. I think they have some, flaws even now but they still are a good team that's playing good baseball so right now they have played the most consistent baseball and honestly that's how you win the regular season is not necessarily being the best team but just being the most consistent just avoiding those lulls will will get you there so if the yankees don't have a lull they're fine but you know the valleys will come and we'll see how they respond yeah and we expect i think some Positive regression for the Rays offense. Obviously, we're, we expect them to get healthier or at least to get their, their top producers healthy. Uh, Eight-game deficit. The Yankees aren't going to fall off a cliff, at least I don't think. That would be hilarious, and I would love to watch that. But they've got a good team. So to make up an eight-game deficit, it's going to be a little difficult. And on the bright side, though, you get a wild card, and there is one extra spot. It's not a one-game playoff. It's still a crapshoot because you're going to be playing a best of three it feels it's a little more comforting going after the wild card spot, knowing that you're going to at least get a three game series where you could throw out a McClanahan Boz and glass now, maybe. I mean, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident going into any series with, with those three and behind them, you look at like Rasmussen and Kluber. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is I'm not conceding the division yet, but I do think it's one of those spots where the Yankees have a lot of banked wins Right. And like the Blue Jays have been on a really hot tear. They've gained nothing on the Yankees. And so like that can just be the that it's also just when you get your wins. Right. You know, I mean, the Rays were able to overcome an eight game deficit at the start of September to pull off the most amazing return uh, and got to us to game 162 in that amazing moment leading to that Longoria walk off. So eight game deficits, especially in division, can definitely happen. But it's nice this year knowing that the wild card is not that one game plan, like you mentioned. That the the one game plan was always just such a kind of a an ill a bitter pill after such a long hard fought season because earning a wild card is very difficult. There's a lot of teams that have not, and even if you keep adding wild cards, it's still a lot of good teams that are going to be missing out. And the Rays are in a really good spot for that. I mean, we I think are really close to obviously the Rays. We we watch them all the time and so we're very attuned to how massive the sky is falling every single day and then you look at the team that's in third place in the wild card right now the los angeles angel of anaheim who today just lost their what did you say 11th 11th yeah 11th in a row okay that's the, the sky is not falling over here and they are healthy outside of rendon so 
it's one of those things where the Rays are still a half game back of the top wild card spot with the Blue Jays. They are still they're four and a half games up on, I believe, Boston. Or no, I think it's LA and then Boston is just behind them. Honestly, I, there's nothing that has shaken my core belief that the Rays are a very good team that are going to be dangerous in October. It's just a matter of, are, is it starting in the wild card or do they get the buy? Or do and how they healthy are they? And how healthy? I mean, that honestly, that's going to be the biggest thing. If the Yankees lose Judge on September 28th, they are a worse team than a healthier uh, Houston or even like a Minnesota that has like a healthy Brian, Byron Buxton. You know, so the, it's it's so much of that, which is you might be the division crown. And look, look at what happened last year. The Rays had were the best team in the AL uh, American League. They won the AL East, lost to a team that was on paper much worse than them in Boston, who were playing worse baseball throughout the regular season, but they got really hot at the right time and and absolutely performed well and then won two absolute coin flip games and that's how that's how easy that that whole thing could be so the yankees if they win 116 117 games beat the mariners record sweep all the way into the postseason that still doesn't mean that in the postseason the the rays couldn't take them out either and it also doesn't mean that july the yankees have a collapse they have a couple injuries cole misses a few starts judge is out for a couple of weeks and suddenly they just kind of lose a couple of coin flip games raise win in the series against them it's just such a long season to go but having those extra wild card spots is a very nice like consolation prize that if you can't get overcome this right now you still got a pretty good uh chance in the postseason yeah definitely um i'm not i'm not super worried about it i would love to win the division it would be better obviously to get that ticket straight to the ALDS even if the Rays were to come back and win the division though that's not guaranteed you got to have one of the top two records I mm-hmm. think if they come back and win this division they would have one of the top two records in the American League it, it's sort it's sort of a it's sort of like we I kind of take it for granted I also was mentioning that like thinking the same is like you just win the division and that's the automatic and yeah, I think we take it for granted, but it would be the case. Like, it's obviously, hey, at least. I'm guessing that's going to be the twins that are still stuck in the wild card. And I hate that. Like, you're the one division winner that doesn't. And I know they're they're probably in the weakest division in the American League. It's just, it stings to win the division. And then you're stuck with the three wild card winners. Uh, but that's the way it goes. This, I mean, this year in particular, the AL East, it's just, it's it's silly how good. I mean, Boston is the clear fourth best team. They they beat the Rays in the postseason last year. They retained most of the same players, and they're not bad. They've they've been surging. They've been winning a lot lately. And guess what, Baltimore? They're not a pushover. Yeah, let's say if you switched Baltimore with, let's say you, you take <laughs> give me the Minnesota. Royals or the Tigers, please, please. Well, <laughs> let's just say no. Let's say you take like the White Sox and just focus in the AL Central. So the the Orioles go into the AL Central. The White Sox come out. Where do the Orioles finish in that division? Do they do they finish clearly above Detroit and Kansas City? Oh, clearly above Detroit and Kansas City. Absolutely. Do you think by, they finish above Cleveland? Performance. Uh, I think I think they play some really fun games against Cleveland. I still think All Cleveland right. is probably the better team. I think they're the better team right now. But I, I think Baltimore is three years away from being a potential AL East contender. That's that's gonna be an early hot take. Now All right. 
a lot can change in three years and prospects will break your heart. So it all could evaporate for them, but they are on the press, but they are now at the best moment, but they still have to do a lot of work. Like they, they could go, I mean, we saw, we were seeing it with Seattle. We're seeing with so many teams where you can be on the precipice and then blow it by not going, having a good off season, trade it, making the wrong trade. One prospect just doesn't develop and that could fall apart. But yeah, if you put Baltimore is in a really tough spot, because even if in three years they are good enough to compete for the division, they still might finish fifth because you have Boston and New York, you have Tampa, you have, you have Toronto who in three years, you still have Vlad and Bichette and Springer. And like, you still have all these great talents. So it, it's, it's a difference between being good enough and actually doing it. But I think, I think Baltimore would love a ticket out of this division as well. Everybody wants out of this division. <laughs> they would love some realignment. Yeah. Yeah. Let's set up the, I don't know, the American league South. Let's see. I don't even know what that division would look like. Uh, but put the race Atlanta, in. Miami. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm whatever realignment, it's probably going to be a net benefit. Like yeah. a, there it's a hard, it's hard to imagine. It gets uh, tougher than what's the current AL East is. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast. Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Darby, I, I think uh, we wanted to raise our voice. Uh, we were trying to discuss what the raise your voice topic should be. I'll, you know, complete transparency. I didn't come into today's episode with one in mind, and we were talking in one of our breaks I, I think we just kind of want to raise our voice about Yanni Diaz. I mean, what an incredible player he has been. Uh, going back to just getting him for Jake Bowers, who was, I mean, kind of seen as next to Willie Adamas, one of the two prospects that was going to carry this franchise into the next era. And he played half a season with the race. He's now with the Yankees. He's been absolutely awful uh, the rest of his big league career. But Darby, I mean, to... to Yanni Diaz, he's been my favorite player, and he might be on the active roster the best position player on the team right now. I, I really, I was thinking about it this this Chicago series because there has not been a day that goes by that I don't feel appreciative that we have Yanni Diaz. He has been absolutely one of the most delightful players that we could have, and it's always been this the most fascinating guy that he comes here. He's chiseled out of granite. He looks like a, a Greek god statue come to life. But his best skill is not towering moonshots, but instead having the most impressive and elite, next level elite, top level elite uh, batter's eye and just control of the strike zone that is incredibly rare in the modern game and also just incredibly rare in like, the history of baseball like this is elite levels of stuff it's incredible what he does and in these skills and it's just I feel like we're not taking a full appreciation of him enough as like Rays fans like every day we're just sort of we're like kind of oh ho-hum Yandy Diaz but like this guy is just doing amazing stuff on Saturday he was one for one with a single 
with three walks and stole a base in there as well. Today, the, the you know, Lucas Giolito was cruising for a while, but the one guy he kept struggling with, Yandy Diaz, who also gets a walk as well, keeps getting on base, got on base later in the game too. He's an on-base machine. Uh, right now, his on-base percentage on the day, and it's actually going to improve after today, but his on-base percentage is 414, which is about, uh, it, it's, uh, it's actually much higher than his slugging at 363. But 414 on-base percentage, that's fifth best in all of baseball. There's four guys ahead of him. They are Luis Arise of Minnesota, there's Paul Goldschmidt, St. Louis, Manny Machado of San Diego is on a MVP potential season, and J.D. Martinez, who is on an absolute resurgence season. His walk percentage is just incredible, 17.7%, which is almost double his K rate at 9%. Just incredible amounts. That is the third best in all of baseball. It is behind just Max Muncy and Juan Soto. Like this is the upper echelon of the best on-base percentage walk. Like I, I trust Yanni Diaz with the strike zone over any umpire in the game, like by a large margin, but like, especially like if, if Yanni doesn't say it, if he says that's not a strike, it is not a strike. You should just correct it. I was a li- I was trying to look through the FanGraphs leaderboards while you were while t- while you were talking there. Uh, I thought he was going to be higher, um, but since this year is the the career high in walk rate, he's only got a career twelve point seven percent walk rate. And while that's very good, it's only good for two hundred and fifty eighth all time. Uh, I thought maybe he'd crack into the top one hundred there and be maybe one of the the best drawer of walks ever. Um, the top the top four in that list are. Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, Max Bishop, and Babe Ruth. Uh, so he's not quite there. All the both, those, both got, but all those guys drawing walks at above a twenty percent clip. Um, but Yandy Diaz, and yeah, he is just. I never get nervous when he's in an O two count. Um, there are plenty mm-hmm. of batters. I mean, most batters in baseball, you get into an O two count. It's not good news, but there are batters like Mike Zanino. If they're down O two, I can like. <laughs> check my phone really quickly because I don't need to watch the rest of the at-bat. I know how this ends. Yanni Diaz goes down 0-2 and you're like, oh, well, he'll work at full and then get a base hit to the other side. Um, he is a, given his offensive numbers, more than fine at third base. He can play first base. He's not going to win you any gold gloves, but he's not a liability out there. He's got a nice arm. He can cover the line and to turn, I, there's no, I always say there's no such good thing as a good first base prospect, but to turn Jake Bowers into Yandy Diaz, um, that's the best contribution Jake Bowers will ever have to this organization. Oh, that's... <laughs> I mean, he did have that walk-off against the Yankees. That was great. That was, that was a great walk-off, yeah. No, but it's it did. He he gave us he gave us Yandy Diaz. And we were, like, remember when that trade happened, we were like, oh, wait, they better also be getting Encarnacion. <laughs> And it's like, oh, no, I'm glad we just got Diaz. I mean, yeah, like, that's the thing is Yandi. it's just one of those guys that it, it's incredible. Like, so this year, he is at 98th percentile in K percentage, 99th percentile in walk rate, 99th percentile in chase rate. 
Like th this guy does not swing out of the zone ever. In fact, his O swing percentage on the year is 20.6%. Like basically if you threw him five, just perfect balls just off the plate, those perfect sliders, he's going to swing at only one of them. He will not chase. He will not K. His whiff percentage is 90 is 94th percentile. So he won't really swing through pitches. And he's just going to just wear people out. He is a, an absolutely pesky hitter. And it's just one of those guys that's, he has enough power, uh, gap power, even some, some home run power here and there that he's not a, you know, pushover. He's not just a slap hitter. He's not like Nick Madrigal or anything like that, but with those, that bat to ball skills and, and that amazing command of the zone, it's just makes him such a unique, it's, he's like a unicorn. Like you don't expect a player of his size to be able to do the things that he does, but it's such a fun profile and you just love having him on this team. Like he is a guy that you just, every time he's in the lineup, he is the, the one person that I know is going to contribute something of quality every time out to the game. And it, it's just incredible. And you know, you get him on base when the rest of the offense can start getting going. It's nice to have a guy that just keeps getting on base and can turn solo home runs into two run home runs. He can kind of continue a rally because he is just one of those people in the lineup that is not an easy out for pitchers because he won't swing at your breaking balls that are going out of the zone as filthy as they are. He will just spin on them and demand that you throw him strikes or just gladly take his base and smile the whole way down there. Could Yadi Diaz go to the all-star game this year? Interesting. Uh, you know, I have to look at the rest of the Rays and kind of the rest of the third baseman in the AL. Uh, if the rest of the league loved walk rate and, and, and uh, on base percentage as much as I do, yes. Um, he's at, he's at a, a 1.2 uh, fan graphs war right now. I mean, he leads the American League. Uh, he leads American League third baseman in on base percentage with a 414 OEP. He's second only behind Machado in all of baseball. In the AL, I would imagine you still are going to get, well, I was about to say it's fan voting. I said probably Josh Donaldson's out. <laughs> I mean, the fan <laughs> vote will, no go fan. To, will go to Ramirez or Devers. And, and Ramirez is probably probably the MVP front runner right now, I would say. Yeah, yeah both of those guys are locks. But if you need one more infielder, or, I don't know, maybe Devers stubs his toe, can't play. Get Diaz a last-second ticket to get out there for the game. Because, like, after that, you're looking at, like, Eugenio Suarez, who's hitting 225 mm -hmm. and strikes out over 30% of the time. DJ LeMahieu is listed as a third baseman. Has he been playing most of the time at third base? Um, uh, no. He's got a 337 on-base percentage, so almost 80 points lower than Yandy. Uh, one more home run. He does have 10 more runs batted in. Yandy Diaz, in terms of like the traditional numbers, that the All-Star game, I think, can still be largely decided on. Only 12 mm -hmm. RBI, which is like not even top 10 in American League for third baseman. Obviously, we understand that like he's a much better hitter than that. Um, but you look at more of the traditional metrics that get those players, those All-Star nods. But there's still like a month to go before they'll decide the reserves who who would go, and he could he's very much going to continue playing a lot. I think the thing is with the All Star, which I never I never put too much you know stake into the All Star game. Uh, I think you still see just the names 
kind of just carry a lot of yeah. weight, whether they're having a great year or not. I mean, Alex Bregman has not had a great year, but he's been fine. So you probably, he's, he's ahead of them uh, just by, you know, the nature of him being there. Uh, it, it's kind of an interesting question as to who the Rays representatives will be. I mean, Shane McClanahan, obviously, but like JP Fireisen was, was going to be there, but he's hurt. So if he comes back healthy enough, maybe he gets in there. Uh, Wander would have been in there, but now he's hurt and, you know, it was slumping a little bit. So maybe not, but maybe too, like he's also a well-known name. Randy's getting hot, but outfield is always tough to like crack. Yeah. It's going to be like your trout judge Buxton Mm -hmm. go from, go out a few more from there. Yeah. So I, I'd love, I love a good out there choice. Cause you like Joey Wendell made it last year, you know, Kittredge. And I feel like last year it was a little bit easier with Kevin Cash as the manager. Uh, I think like the Kittredge and Wendell additions might not mm-hmm. have happened if it weren't for, and that's not to say that they weren't deserving. Uh, yeah. Those things might not have happened if, it, if not for Kevin Cash. So you don't think uh, we're going to get as the, the same kind of luck from uh, Alex Cora this year. It should be Dusty Baker, to, right? So maybe. Oh, that's right. Dusty. I don't know why. I thought, yeah, they, they, they beat completely Boston. memory hold. I just, I just bought just the Braves got everything. Yeah. It's <laughs> Dusty. So yeah. Bregman will definitely be in there third. So yeah. he, so you have J Ram, you have uh, Devers and then probably Bregman. Right. Uh, yeah. Dusty, Dusty's, Dusty's old school. I was about to say, if you got, if you got a Rocco in there, then or a Tito Francona, you might be able to like, you know, convince them, convince them in. But uh, if you're yeah. looking for late additions, I mean, like it's probably going to be a pitcher. You see a lot of pitchers get, you know, they, they're not True. available. Maybe a Drew Rasmussen. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's eating up a lot of innings. The ERA is still 302. Jeffrey Springs is going to get up there in innings by the time the teams are selected. He's got a 188 ERA. Uh, he looks great. If you're looking for another reliever, Jason Adam, still giving up very few runs this year. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to be an all star. Uh, this year, you know, you're not going to get Mike Zanino. Obviously, Franco, Lau won't have enough time, and he wasn't playing well enough even when he was healthy to be an all-star. Um, I don't know. I'd love to see Diaz get in there. Maybe Manuel Margot, but like you said, outfield is tough. Kevin Kiermeyer for about a week. I thought maybe this is the year he gets his chance, uh, which he still, he still hasn't been to an all-star game, uh, which is a little crazy to think, but also not that crazy when you look at Defense just is always, yeah, it's just always under undercounted, especially in the all-star format. But Yeah, definitely. So McClanahan is a shoe-in unless he absolutely falls apart in the month of June. Um, but maybe maybe I'd love to see Yanni Diaz. I'd love to see Rasmus, and I'd love to see all of them get that opportunity. But well, we shall see. Send Brett Phillips two-way, get him both position and pitching. That's what people want to see. Yeah. Come on, Dusty. Definitely. Get it in there. Uh, Any final thoughts? The Cardinals come to town this week. You think the Rays are in a good position to bounce back, or this could be another rough week? Cardinals are good. I think the next two series are going to be tough. Uh, Cardinals and then the Twins going to Minnesota. Uh, Good games, good teams. Uh, Hopefully should should be some good games. I think the Rays pitching staff has been stellar. They've had the best ERA. The last 22 games besides uh today is going to be not included in that um 
but you know you're you're gonna see what Shane McClanahan in there you're gonna see I think Rasmussen is lined up in there possibly Kluber possibly Boz though I mean Boz would be right in the start of the Minnesota Twins series if uh his five days or so so the next two series homestand against St. Louis then Minnesota you're probably going to get some really good pitchers going so you're not going to need necessarily a lot of offense generally St. Louis interesting challenge they're they're not a uh they're having a good season over there and the Rays don't really have a lot of familiarity with many of those players so we'll see uh old man Pujols come to town and old man Yacht Yacht Yachty or Melina come to town and old man Adam Wainwright come to town but not pitch so nice little retirement tour to uh to Tampa or to the St. Pete beaches that's just what normally will happen yeah I mean I think it's gonna be tough you've got six games three of them at home again a three and three week probably is good enough to to continue to like not tread water because they're they're playing winning baseball I mean I think they've won like eight of their last 16 so right around 500 but given the wins they've already banked, you can afford to play some 500 baseball through the dog days of summer. Um, it's a long season. You know, the angels aren't this bad. The Yankees aren't this good. Everywhere is kind of, everybody's kind of somewhere in between. So I'd love to see you take two out of three at home. Maybe have a rough weekend in Minnesota. If you can pull off three wins out of these six games, sky isn't falling. Well, at least not to me. It is. I know there are some fans out there that might disagree, but any other final thoughts? I, I agree. I think three and three is what you aim for right now. I think until you can get Wander back and maybe he comes back the next week after that, until you can get Brandon Lau back, if you can, you know, at you're adding on Boz to the pitching staff, keeping guys healthy. I think just, you know, playing 500 baseball right now, when you're up, you know, eight, nine games above 500, that's, that's all you kind of need to look for and just kind of, you know, get by in time to get those reinforcements coming. And I'd like to see some of the younger guys start to, you know, they're getting that opportunity. I'd love to see Bruhan and, and Paredes kind of keep, keep rolling with it and maybe see Bruhan start to have some balls, you know, actually fall in the gap for him. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you to Darby Robinson for coming on. And thank you to you guys for listening. If you like what we do, uh, subscribing or following to our podcast network, wherever you are listening and make sure that every new episode is downloaded directly to your device, whether that be Raise Your Voice or Who's on Worst or uh, any other podcast that we decide to put out. That is the best way to do it. Also, leaving a rating and a review, another great way to spread what we do to more and more Rays fans. If you've got a question or a comment or anything else you want read out on the show, just drop a five-star review and leave a comment, and I will read it out on a future episode of Raise Your Voice. Make sure to head on over to DRaceBay.com to check out all of the great race coverage. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.